is that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman with, is that really in the Bible? Someone said that the ability to love comes from God. Think about that, the ability. That man in and of himself does not have the ability to love. Left to ourselves, void of the Spirit of God, we don't even have the ability to love. Now, let me say this, we do have void of the Spirit of God. We have the ability, man and woman has the ability for genital bonding. Uh, they can make babies together, they can reproduce. They can have recreational sex. Yes, I understand that. But love, real love, comes from God. Now, there is a counterfeit love that is out there that deceives many, many, many people today, young and old, a counterfeit that our society teaches us. You know, it's like the emotional high romance and lust and orgasm or whatever. But you got to understand, okay, that can be nothing more than a counterfeit, mankind in and of himself does not have the ability to love. And I think this is revealed by the high number of people who are cohabiting today, just living together. You know, cohabiting is relationship without commitment. That's really, that's really what it's all about. It's about a relationship without any type of commitment, which reveals in and of itself that it's not real love. Because where there is true love, there is commitment to one another. Now, what do I mean by no commitment? Well, imagine if you were buying a car, paying about $30,000, you know, you're paying an arm and a leg for that car. Imagine if you were buying a new car and they told you, look, yeah, you're paying a lot for this, but we're not committed to standing behind our product at all. There is no warranty, no warranty whatsoever. When the moment you drive this car off the parking lot, that is it. We are not committed, committed to standing behind our product at all. Well, you know, in cohabiting, we're the saying the same thing. I've got to have my out, okay? The words are agreed upon by the willingness to live together. Yeah, I'm not going to be committed to you. You're not worthy of my commitment because when things get tough, you're just not special enough, you know? You're not worthy of my dedication. You're not worthy of my love. The back door must always be open. I'm not committed. I'm not really committed to you at all. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, most of your big churches are not really committed to God. Did you know that? Yeah, I mean, they're not committed to, to the law of God. How do I know that? Well, because of their theology. Law's been abolished, been nailed to the cross, been fulfilled, been done away with. So they're not committed to the law of God. They're not committed to being baptized and receiving the Spirit of God. They're not committed to unconditional surrender to God. No, they're not committed to any of those things. But, but they are committed to playing church, I can guarantee you that. Uh, getting on the merry-go-round of endless activities, which, which, yeah, there's a commitment there because, you know, that's one of the ways we compensate. We think if we can just get involved in all kinds, and a big church will work you to death. It's like a second job. They will have you doing singing in the choir. They'll have you doing this. They'll have you doing that. And it's all a way that we compensate. You know, it's compensation. When one area is lacking, like the relationship with God, we overachieve in another area to make up for the void. 
And so this endless activities, being on the merry-go-round of churchianity, can't get enough of stuff, can't get enough of religious stuff. It's just one of the ways we compensate. So is it any wonder that when we look at today's relationship, there is no commitment in those relationships, and they learned it, often they learned this at church. I mean, what do our youth see from their parents at church? Well, they see a 45-minute worship service where they've got their hands raised up. Yeah, praise Jesus, I love Jesus, and then out the door and back to the normal routine. And that's about as deep as it gets. You know, like play acting or something. You know, that, that's, I got my religion in. I got my sermon in. Heard my sermon today. I heard my hour-long message. That's it, you know. And, and so they learned that, okay, there's no commitment there. They're not, my, my parents are not really committed to God. Not, I, mean, I can't see that they are. You know, and so they don't learn how to be committed in relationships with men and women. First um, John 4 and verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loves not knoweth not God, for God is love. For love is of God. What is that telling us? Love is of God. So people who are not committed to one another, cohabiting, yeah, let's just, let's just try this out and see. I don't think it's going to work, but uh, let's try it out and see if it's going to work or not. Won't you move into my apartment with me? Let's just try it out. We don't, we don't have any faith here. That there is zero commitment to one another. Let's try it out and see if it's going to work. And, you know, the reason cohabiting doesn't work is because... Now, let, let, let's cut to the brain fog here. Here's a green light coming on. Ding, ding, ding. The reason cohabiting doesn't work is because there is no commitment. You know, a lot of people are not smart enough to figure that one out. For example, okay, let me give you an example here. I'm part owner of a business. We've had workers who were not committed to being productive, okay? And guess what? They weren't productive because they weren't committed to being productive. Now, they worked. They work eight hours a day. They get a paycheck. But they're not productive because they're not committed to being productive. You see how that works? Yeah. Very simple. Relationships are the same way. We're going through the motion. Oh, yeah, we're going through the motion. We're going through the cohabiting. We're going through the genital bonding. But, but I can never find the right one because I'm not committed to anything. As far as I can tell, I never will be committed to anything. Commitment comes before love. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Commitment comes before love. And you know, I see this in people's relationship with God. Well, God, I want a relationship with you. I want to be saved. I want your grace. I want your blessings. I want your favor. But if you think I'm going to be committed to you, you got another thing coming. I'll go through the motion of playing church. And I'll accept your grace and your favor and your forgiveness and all that stuff. But if you think I, I, I'm going to be committed to you, if you think I'm going to do actually what you say to do, no, 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 no. I don't want that. Okay. And so very few people ever find the real God. Didn't say they couldn't be religious. Didn't say they couldn't go to church six days a week and twice on Sunday. Go through all the merry-go-round of church. And they can do all that. But they will never find the real God. 1 John 4 and verse 8 says... He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. There are all kinds of people involved in a relationship, but they don't know how to love. Yeah, all kinds of people. The world is full of those people. They're involved in this, this, this sexual relationship, that sexual relationship, but they don't know how to love. 
Pornography is sex without love. Pornography dominates the internet. And it's nothing more than sex without love. You know, people who are involved in relationships without commitment don't know how to love. And they don't know how to love God either. That's my point. And if you don't know, you see, if you don't know how to be committed to another person, another human being, you'll never know how to be committed to God. Never. Now, our society, we live in a sexual promiscuous society. Sex sells everything. You know, I, just, I would say look at TV, but I don't watch TV. So I can't tell you to look at TV because I don't really watch TV. But anyway, but I mean, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's in the magazines. It's everywhere. But what does your Bible say about this raunchy, sexual, promiscuous society? Hosea 4 and verse 10 says, For they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom and shall not increase, because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. Notice this, they, 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 they commit whoredom, but they don't increase. I mean, here you've got this society that's built on, I don't know, fornication, adultery, sexual promiscuous sex, and yet no one's increasing. Now, why is that? Why, why? Well, one of the reasons is because there's no commitment there. Because of lack of commitment, children are not even desired very much anymore because of lack of commitment. I mean, children, you've got to be committed to rearing children. And because there is no commitment, we don't want children. Children are aborted because of lack of commitment. I don't want, I don't want any children. You know? I was reading something, and this is not a fascinating concept. I was reading an article about porn-induced ED, erectile dysfunction. It, it's happening to men in their 20s. And what they say, what's happening is this. Men in their 20s, get that. That uh, it's, it's called porn-induced ED. They can get an erection to pornography, you know, masturbation and pornography, but they can't get an erection in a real life situation, in a real relationship with another woman. They, they, can't get a, they can't get excited. And what they say is going on is the receptors in the brain are being reprogrammed through pornography and masturbation so that that stimulates them. They get excited about that, but, but in a real relationship, it's called porn-induced ED. They can't get excited in a real relationship. And I just, I read that article and I thought, wow, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's destroying a wonderful gift that is sex between husband and wife and, and normal functional relationship, you know, of sexual relationship. He's destroying that. Men in their 20s. Yeah, ED. Porn-induced ED. Amazing. All right, what does your Bible say about our society? Hosea 4 and verse 18. Their drink is sour. They have committed whoredom continually. Her rulers with shame do love give ye. Now let me read that from a different translation here. God's word translation, same verse says, When they have done drinking their wine, they continue to have sex with their prostitutes. Their rulers dearly love to act shamefully. Notice that. Their rulers at the highest authority. Their rulers dearly love to act shamefully. I think of, you know, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton turned the White House into a whorehouse. And, then, and the man was greatly respected and loved by men and women. I don't know what's going on with people. It's, it's, we have lost our ability to judge situation. Judgment is gone. Judgment turned away backwards. You know, we, we can't judge anything anymore. We don't have the gumption to do it. Here's a man turned the White House into a whorehouse. And he's loved. Yeah. 
Ezekiel 23 and verse 35. Therefore, thus says the Lord of God, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind thy back, therefore bear there also thy lewdness and thy whoredom. Notice that. Now that's a good description of our society. Lewdness and whoredom. You know, on Facebook, I used to befriend, I used to allow, I would accept all friends' requests. I stopped doing that, by the way. I thought, because I thought, man, you better check them out. Okay, you better check them out first because you never know who's asking you to be, you know, their friend or whatever. But anyway, there's this one girl, this fat girl that kept, she would, she would post pictures of herself in her bedroom in bra and panties, you know. And I, I thought, why? I don't even get this. You know, your mind goes tilt like a pinball machine. Why? You know, it's like, okay, I'm naked. I got a camera and I got the internet and those three must go together. Why do people do the things they do? I don't even have the answers to these questions here. You know, it's like, okay, playing the whore, provocative, lewd, you know, pictures on the internet, or, you know, cleavage showing all, you know. It's unreal. It's unreal. You know, you know Jeff Foxworthy used to have a, you know, you might be a redneck. Well, I'm going to come up with a new one. You might come from a dysfunctional family system if your daughter is posting provocative pictures of herself on Facebook. Yeah, okay. If she's posting pictures of herself in her bra and panties on Facebook, you might have come from a dysfunctional family. You might be the dysfunctional family system. Yeah. I was watching, it was, it was a, um, this is it. It was Michael Jackson's last concert that he was preparing for before he, he died. And uh, a lot of creativity there. I did admire that. but. Uh, you know, it was these, uh, this woman teaching these dancers, a woman teaching these dancers how to grope themselves. How to grope themselves, you know. What have we become as a society? You know, it's like you, 50 years from now, sitting around a dinner table, grandpa would say, boy, I remember, I remember when I taught that boy how to grope. I'm the one that taught him how to grope now. Don't you take credit for that. I, I, what have we become as a nation? We don't even know when something is lewd, vulgar, and wrong. We don't even know when something is lacking character anymore. That's where we are as a nation. Galatians 5 and verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Notice the fruit of the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit. One of the fruits of that Holy Spirit, of having the Holy Spirit, is love. And don't ever think you're born with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I do believe that the Spirit of God can, can lead and guide and direct people, but there's a way to receive the Spirit of God. The actual Spirit of God is only given to those who have surrendered, an unconditional surrender, surrender to God. And they go through baptism and have hands laid on them for the receiving of the Holy Spirit of God. They accept Christ as their personal Savior. You know, not, and what I'm saying, though, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not going to be able to love. The ability to love comes from God. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Notice that. He hasn't given us the spirit of fear. And there are all kinds of people out there who fear being committed in a relationship with another person. They fear it. It's like a disease. I mean, it's something they dread beyond their wildest dreams. I don't want to be committed. Why is that? It says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, 
but of love and of power and of a sound mind. You know, it, you're going to have to go, we're going to have to go through a process of unlearning what love is not. The world teaches us a wrong view, a counterfeit view, a counterfeit teaching about a counterfeit love, and it's a wrong view of what love is. You know, the world teaches us love is genital bonding, love is recreational sex, love is, lust is love. That's what the world teaches us. And none of that stuff equals real love. First Peter 1 and verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart to love one another with a pure heart. Is, does that describe you and your relationship with your mate or with your girlfriend or boyfriend that we are loving each other in a pure heart? The ability to love comes from God. If you don't know how to love, you don't know God. Now, I want to digress a little bit and explain something here that may trouble some of you. But in the Bible, I want to ask the question, what constituted a marriage in the Bible? You know, you really don't read in the Bible about an elaborate marriage ceremony like you see today when you think about the typical marriage ceremony. You know, now I know Jesus went to a wedding feast and it was a, but even that probably wouldn't compare, you know, uh, it was a Jewish wedding feast. There was song and dancing and, and huge celebration and a lot of drinking also. That was the place where Jesus' first miracle took place. He turned water into wine, I think over 160 gallons of water into wine. And that was after they ran out. Uh, you know, Jesus was called a wine bibber. Not a grape juice bibber, but a wine bibber. Boy, Jesus really liked he'd tearing that grape juice up. No, just kidding. He was called a wine. You know, Jesus probably drank a little wine. Does that offend you? I don't know why it would, but, but that's uh, probably the truth right there. He probably drank a little. So I don't want to try to out Jesus, Jesus, you know. Anyway, uh, he went wedding feast. Okay. But the ceremony, do you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? And do you take this, this man to be your lawful, lawful wedded husband? Uh, you don't see that ceremony in the Bible. That's what I'm saying. But let's look at some scriptures here. And we're asking the question, what exactly constituted a marriage? When did a person enter into covenant, the covenant of marriage with another person? At what point? Deuteronomy 22 and verse 28. If a man finds a damsel that is a virgin, which is not betrothed, and lay hold of her, and lie with her, and they be found, then the man that lay with her shall give her the damsel's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he has humbled her. He may not put her away all his days. Exodus 22 and verse 16. And if a man entice a maid that is not betrothed, and lie with her, he shall surely endow her to be his wife. In other words, you got a man, they're enticed to one another. You know, they're, 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 boy, you look great, she looks great, he looks great, whatever, they get together, they make love. And uh, it says right here, he shall surely endow her to be his wife. Then you have Genesis 24 and verse 67. And Isaac was brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her, and Isaac was comforter, comforted after his mother's death. So here, Isaac brings Rebekah into the tent. They make love. And they are, in the eyes of God, they have entered into 
a very intimate sexual relationship. And they have entered in, in the eyes of God, they have entered into a covenant of marriage at that point. Adam knew his wife. And they, that, that basically was the marriage covenant right there being performed. Now, what I'm saying is what constituted the marriage was the act of sex. Once you entered into a sexual relationship with that person, you were in the eyes of God married. You had entered into a covenant with that person. Now, I think the common denominator back then was that they were committed to one another. Yes, committed. You know, th this was not sex for the sake of sex. They were committed to one another, to be with one another, and to take care of one another. This is why, you know, in, in the Bible, when you see the example of rape, Deuteronomy 22 and verse 25, but if a man find a betrothed damsel in the field and the man force her and lie with her, then the man only that lie with her shall die. In other words, this man is put to death because he has done something very wrong. He has forced her, he has raped her. But think about this also. He's put to death. But think about it. From God's perspective, this man was not committed to anything. It was forced sex. It was sex for the sake of sex. No commitment. No commitment. And he's put to death. Just think about that. Now, I know, okay, a lot of people have a hard time with this. You know, okay, but what about relationships falling apart? What about divorce? Okay, what about that? Okay, I understand that. Jesus spoke about divorce. Matthew 19 and verse 8. He said, he said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, from the beginning, it was God's intent that if you entered into a sexual relationship, if you were going to share in that kind of intimacy, you had better be committed to that person for life. Now, Imagine if we taught our children this. You know, son, daughter, look, okay, this girl that you're dating, uh, yeah, son, she's hot. She's sexy. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. But I want to tell you something, son. If you enter into a sexual relationship with this girl, this woman, this young woman, you are, in the eyes of God, married to her. You have entered into a marriage covenant with her. Suppose we taught our sons and daughters this. Instead of teaching them nothing, instead of just saying, well, I hope they figure this stuff out for themselves, suppose as we, as a role model, taught them and said, look, okay, yeah, 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 I know you're going to be tempted to do this, but I want you to understand, once you do this, once you enter into that sexual relationship with that person, you are in the eyes of God married to her, and uh, you're going to have to be committed to her. Now, they say that 50% of relationships fall apart, 50% of marriages fall apart. And, you know, a lot of people go through relationship after relationship after relationship. They get on a losing streak. You know, heads you win, tails you lose. And they keep losing, losing, losing. And so they enter into a relationship. They start having sex, and that doesn't work out. Then they go to the next one and have sex, and that doesn't work out. And they go to the next relationship and the next relationship and the next relationship. And then finally they hit the winning ticket. They, they, find, they meet that person that God intended them to meet in the first place and they can be happily married then. But you see, you, you find the right one and then you realize, oh boy, I've had sex with half the cheerleading squad. You know, I mean, and then it, it gets embarrassing 
when it comes to school reunions and you're looking at all the girls you've loved before, you know, like the song with Willie Nelson and Julio. I don't know what idiot put those two guys together, but somebody did. But, you know, you're all the girls I've loved before. And, and, and now you've finally found the right woman that God intended you to have. And yet it's a little bit embarrassing because of all this awkward situation. Well, what does commitment look like? What does real commitment look like? When Matthew 4 and verse 19, it says, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Man, that's, that's a good example right there of commitment. They threw their nets down, they left their work, and they were committed to Jesus Christ. And you know, Jesus gives, gives us another example of what commitment looks like. And he said, Matthew 19 and verse 5, For this call shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. So I just think it's important, you know, that we teach our children, you know, okay, son, daughter, look, once you enter into this sexual relationship with this person, in God's eyes, you are married to that person, and you'd better be committed. It's going to be time for you to leave home. It's going to be time for you to start your own family, to start your own life. The apron, apron string must be broken at that point. And you see, we're... we're Young people today are, are not growing up quick enough today. You know, they, they say, the American dream used to be, at least it was for me, to get out of my parents' home as soon as possible and get out on my own. I was out and already had a home built by age 21 and, and I think married by that time. But what I'm saying, you know, today the American dream is to get your 30-year-old son out of the basement. He's still living at home. People have to grow up and the sooner the better. Now what can you do if you have broken a commitment? Well, it's very simple. 1 John 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, never forget, those who are committed to God can renew their strength and find favor from God. I want to close, close with Isaiah 40 and verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as an eagle. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Those that wait upon God, those that wait on God, those that trust God, and those that are committed to God shall renew their strength. They're going to mount up with wings as an eagle. They're going to run and they're not going to be weary. They're going to walk and not faint. I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? And I'll see you next time. If you would like a free DVD recording of this program that you can share with friends and loved ones, write to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia. 24151. And be sure to mention the title of this program. Also, you can contact us by email at minister at cogrm.com. That's minister at cogrm.com.